What's up and welcome to Difficulty Class, a podcast about all things Dungeons and Dragons. I'm one of your hosts, Trevor Bettis, and with me is... Allie Deichman. That's right, and this week we'll be talking about Storm King's Thunder. We'll be doing a spoiler-free talk about it, a little bit of a review, and then a little bit of suggestions, followed by uh, a question written in by a listener that's similar to you, but not you, because you're not Ryan Fitzgerald. So, um, yeah, hey, you're Allie. Yes, I am. Hello. Uh, um, so, we're, we're, this is the new format. We got two hosts. Yes, indeed. This is great. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, one of the things that we talked about was that um, I never introduced myself. Mm-hmm. You haven't introduced yourself because you haven't been on the show. Not yet. So, let, you know, let's start off with that. Who are you? <laughs> well, I'm Allie. Um, I've been playing D&D since, goodness, I think 2012 now. Um, this guy, Trevor, actually DM'd my first ever game, and so you have him to thank humble bird. for everything uh, <laughs> <laughs> um i've been playing since fourth edition and goodness i played fourth edition for like a long time and then eased my wing to fifth and then i've been dming ever since well 2014 hey and so yeah fifth edition has been great and that's what i've been doing for a while now <laughs> Um, so yeah, uh, I, I realized that I never actually talked about myself at all during the beginning of this podcast when it was Dungeon Driver. I'm Trevor Bettis. I've been DMing since 2011. <laughs> so in the grand scheme of things, not that much longer. I also started with 4th edition. Um, well, I started playing in 3.5. Uh, my buddy that got me into D&D ran a small game for us, and uh, then I took over during 4th edition, and then when 5th edition came out, I lost my mind and dove headfirst into it. I own every book, and I keep looking at the, the bookstores, and I don't know why. There's so many books. There's so many books, and I own all of them. Why do I do that? Uh, I have a problem. But, uh, yeah, we are two DMs and players. Uh, I've been a player in your game, you've been a player in my game, we've been players in other people's games, and this is going to be a fun little podcast where we talk about D&D and being a player and being a DM and maybe give some advice along the way. Oh yeah, lots of advice. <laughs> All the advice. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, so, uh, we're, we're going to do a new little segment that's uh, going to hopefully keep going, which is called, How's Your Game Going? So, Allie, how's your game going? Well, I have uh, at least three games going every week. Um, the one that is pretty much a non-stop every Wednesday is my, well... Storm King's Thunder game. Hey, relevant. Uh, yeah, we technically call it the Neverwinter campaign because this is just a section of this campaign. Uh, they're currently all level 15, I think. I might, they might be 14. I don't know. I'm the DM. <laughs> um, I lose track of my players' levels all the damn time. Constantly. My players will be like, oh, I'm level 6. I'm like, shit, I thought you were 4. <laughs> and so it's been going great. Um, they're going into their own personal backstories that's kind of tying into the end of Storm King's Thunder. Um, which, which we'll get to. Spoiler. Yeah, I'm at the end of Storm King's Thunder, and so I have to set up that. It's going to be exciting. <laughs> we'll talk about that more later. But that's how that game's going. The other ones are great, actually. I mean, the one that you're in, Trevor, that's... I love that one. <laughs> what are we in? Session four and you guys have not killed a single person? Yeah, yeah. And they're in Ravnica, so there's lots of opportunity for that to happen. They took down Cranko, <laughs> and they didn't kill a single goblin. 
don't and I did threaten to shove one goblin's head up another goblin's ass. This is true. Yeah. yeah. Um, a very effective threat. But that's, that's also how my games are going. That's good. Yeah. That's good. I'm excited about them. Uh, my, my game is is going well. Um, I, I just finished Dragon Heist. It was awesome. We had a great last uh, last session, and now we're going to be transitioning into <gasps> Storm King's Thunder, more relevant. Oh, my hey! God. It's like we set that up or something. <laughs> yes. um, but, yeah, that one's going really good, and um, my players, one of my players is going to stay the same. He's going to keep the same character, and then it. my three other players are going to make new characters tonight, in fact. Oh, that's After perfect. this podcast, we're going to make some characters. That's great. And uh, other than that, bookstore games going well. It's fun. Which, by the way, Allie is also a DM at. Dun, dun, dun. Yes, I am. It, it was awesome. The last time uh, we did it, it was... Uh, it, it's such a great experience to do with like, a bunch of kids, too. Mm-hmm. It's such a cool thing. Yeah. No kids. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, I get... Uh, we're, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're not reserving any thoughts. Um, and let's see. Uh, there's that one going on. Ravnica, also going awesome. And then the Pathfinder... Uh, we're also in a Pathfinder game together. We we're are. players in a Pathfinder game. <laughs> yes, we are. And that one's going really well. <laughs> we straight up teleported to a boss and murdered her face last week. Yes. Oh, what did he, what did he call it? A scry and burn? Uh, yeah, scry and fry. Scry and fry. Yeah. Yes, that, we literally did that, which... Again, uh, relevant. That's literally something my players have done for every single major thing, bad guy <laughs> in Storm King's Thunder, which I, I'm gonna love to talk about later. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, that's uh, that's how my games are going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, n- next, real quick, this isn't gonna be an everything, every episode topic because there's not always a lot of this in the world of Dungeons and Dragons, but there's some news. Yeah. There's a new adventure coming out. Yes. Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus. Very excited. So cool. <laughs> it's literally been described as like Mad Max meets D&D. Oh, yeah. And that just... That was all they had to say. Yeah. I'm, I'm sold. I'm already buying the book. It's <laughs> I was already giddy when they were like, new D&D adventure. Then they said that, and I literally took my wallet out and threw it at the TV. <laughs> the, unfortunately, the, the campaign book didn't pop out, and I think I dented my television, but it's, you know, it's fine. Um, but yeah, there was a live stream that they did called The Descent. They talked about it. They played some games from it. Did you watch anything from it? I watched a little bit of it. Oh, so good. I had to, I was busy. Working. Jim Zub was freaking <laughs> Minsk and Matt Mercer was I, I his hamster yeah. boo. <laughs> oh my God. It was so precious. Mm-hmm. I loved it. So good. I may have stolen something that happened in there and put it into the end of my game. Oh, well, you should. Every yeah. cool thing you should steal at least a little bit of. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do that a lot with, uh, Chris Perkins. <laughs> I steal a lot from Chris Perkins. Um, and then the uh, another piece of news is that the classic uh, D&D games are coming to Switch. So this includes Baldur's Gate 1, Baldur's Gate 2, Icewind Dale, Planescape Torment, and Neverwinter Nights. Oh, see, that's going to be so cool. Because, I mean, like, I was I was at that age where I didn't actually get the chance to, like, play those games very much at all. Also because my parents wasn't, weren't into them, so why would I be playing them? I, I I still didn't understand what RPGs were. Oh, yeah. I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure at one time I thought Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time was an RPG. Yeah. I was a dumb kid. <laughs> so, yeah, when I saw, when I saw like, the screen for Baldur's Gate, I... <sighs> why, are there, why are there so many people that you control? That's weird. Yeah, and it'll be great, too, because it's like you we don't have to go back and like play the older versions in order to like enjoy well them. i'm still doing that <laughs> i bought yeah. i bought Baldur's gate 2 and neverwinter nights a week before this was announced oh. <laughs> and uh 
and like I've played these games since then, and like they're fun games. I mm-hmm. cannot wait to play them on, on the Switch. Oh yeah. I'm just I'm gonna be nerding out at work all the time. <laughs> I'm already that guy at work. Well, yeah. You, I mean, expected. Yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm excited to be able to play them without that nostalgia filter getting ruined. Yeah. From looking back at the old games, and so it'll be it'll be awesome. Oh yeah, no, for sure. Like mm-hmm. the the nostalgia is simply going to be when they're like, oh, and then you have to go fight a beholder, and I'm like, oh, beholder, it's so cool, oh, my god. <laughs> like you, the the first area of Neverwinter Nights, and this is spoilers for like a 14 year old game. Um, the, like the first area, like when you're training and stuff, you go into this menagerie they call it, which is really just a prison. Oh. <laughs> It's like it's like a prison cell with five doors on it, but you can see the monsters in it. And there's a fucking Umber Hulk. Oh! And I was like, ah, Tara, look, it's an Umber Hulk. And she's like, I don't care. I'm trying to watch TV right now. Could you please shut up? But she's my wife, and she loves me so. Yes. And also, oh, we didn't mention this. Also, your sister. Yes. Uh, technically, Trevor is my brother-in-law. Technically. 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 Okay. Uh, the last piece of news, uh, which is relevant to the last one, is Baldur's Gate Three was announced. With the most gruesomely awesome trailer for it. And that if you have not seen and have a strong stomach, you should go watch. Yeah, it's pretty, I mean, cool. Cool isn't one word for it. It's pretty cool. There was no (laughs) gameplay shown, unfortunately. I even sat through the terrible E3 PC conference because I thought they'd show it. They didn't. They didn't. It didn't. I I will never get that time back. No. (laughs) Uh, But it's happening, and it's coming from the creators of Divinity Original Sin 1 and 2, which my wife and I are currently playing through the second one, and it's a shitload of fun. I, my, my, I have an undead human wizard that talks to animals. Oh, that's so cool. And because I did that, I now have a cat familiar. Oh, that's awesome. I'm going to call him Gygax. <laughs> Again, stealing from Chris Perkins. If you're listening, which I doubt you are, but if you are, love you. <laughs> um, but that is all the news that we got. And if uh, you're just here for the title of this podcast, then let's get on to Storm King's Thunder. Woo. All right. Um... Storm King's Thunder, it's something I've been dealing with, uh, reading, building off of, uh, giving my players for the past, I don't know, year now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it feels like it's been longer than that. It does feel longer than that. Uh, not in a bad way. I mean, this is a good-sized book. For those that can't see, which is everyone, uh, it's it's a good-sized campaign book. Mm-hmm. No, uh, it's definitely, it has a lot of content in there. It's dense. Dense is the great word for it. Yeah. Um, especially uh, chapter three. Yeah, which um, what we will we will get into yeah. there. But t- tell you what, we're gonna start off with a spoiler-free conversation. I think what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna read the back of this book, which I haven't done before, so I might stumble over my words. <laughs> um, and we and we can talk about this back section, which is in my con- in my opinion is not spoilers. Oh yeah, it's on the back of the book. It's not spoilers. No, you can't. Yeah, so let's see. Ages ago, giants and dragons waged war across the savage frontier. These battles are long forgotten by human civilizations of today. But ancient relics remain, and now the land shudders once more with the thunder of giant footsteps. Hill giants raid farms for food and livestock as stone giants lay waste to settlements in their path. Frost giants plunder uh, coastal towns as fire giants gather slaves. Cloud giant castles drift across the sky, casting ominous shadows on the cities of the north. But no threat compares to the wrath of the storm giants who stand betrayed. Puny adventurers must rise to the challenge. I love that it says puny. That's so great. Puny adventurers must rise to the challenge, gather their strength, unlock the power of ancient runes, and take the fight to to the giant's doorsteps. Only then can they discover a hidden evil 
Oh, uh, hidden evil that is fomenting a war between giants and small folk. Only then can they forge an alliance to end the war b before it begins. I totally stumbled through that. I apologize. You did great. Uh, but yeah, so that is the the quick back of the book description mm -hmm. of Storm King's Thunder. Uh, what? So what about that got you interested in running this game? Um, probably the concept of using like the entire race as pretty much the antagonists and what's cool about giants in general is that if you look in the monster manual there's like a lot of different kinds and so it provides a lot of difference through a campaign whereas like if you're going through uh like uh dragon horde right mm, like, yeah going through team there's a lot of human bandits and a mm. lot of cultists and a lot of just uh, here's your brand of bad guys yeah um, with Storm King's Thunder, it promises at least five different types oh, of bad yeah. guys. And each of those five different types have different weaknesses, have different strengths, and have different weapons. And so it kind of provides a lot of variety uh, for a game, as opposed to uh, a lot of the other campaigns, I feel. But um, basically, I really like this book. Uh, that's my overall review. <laughs> that's your spoiler-free. Don't need to go into it more. That's it. <laughs> uh, for, for me, like, what what got me is that, like, even, like, without going in, like, without cracking the cover of this book, this seems like it is a big event. Mm -hmm. This isn't just something that's, like, th this is on the scale of Rise of Tiamat, where it's, yeah. like, shit's going down. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a great point, because, uh... I won't mention it further until the later half, but it is on the exact style of scale as the Rise of Tiamat because, in a weird way, it's connected. Yeah. Um, pretty much directly correct connected. So. It's yeah, yeah, and like, well, I mean, like, even this on the cover of this book, there is a big old storm giant with a really good beard, two female storm giants, and then behind them is a blue dragon with lightning come around it. Yeah. Like, that's just cool. Yeah. Like, this book just jumps off the shelf as, like, this is freaking cool and it's going to be a great mm -hmm. adventure. And it, I, I, it, going from, because I'm, I'm connecting this story to Dragon Heist, which are very different stories. Yes. <laughs> like, my players have been, like, city locked for, like, four months. Yeah. And this one promises to go out into the world. And it is kind of cool because this is the... It has the promise of it's the globe-trotting adventure that is kind of the yeah. generic idea of an adventure. Like, what's the phrase where it's like micro versus macro? Where it's like it's very condensed and yeah. you're focused on one thing versus mm -hmm. a grand scale and looking at it at the whole big picture? Yeah. Storm King's Thunder is the big picture. Um, <laughs> it's big. Yes. It's giants. Very giant. <laughs> I got you. I got you. I got you. Uh, whereas I feel like uh, Dragon Heist is very much, it's it's still a big campaign, but it's very much focused on the actual city itself. Yeah. Like, I think I think in the spoiler section, I, I think that campaign is going to be a good one to compare to, both yeah. like in scale and how it's written. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like the this one, I, I, the reason I wanted to run it was because my players were in such a small condensed adventure that I think doing this one is going to be a nice change of pace and like open up that world because all they've seen is Fandolin uh, and Waterdeep for yes. months. 
I mean, the book opens up with literally three different places that you can go to immediately. Mm-hmm. And it really promises uh, being able to move wherever you need to. And it has that kind of almost sandbox feel of, where do you want to go now? Here's oh, the map. Yeah. And, and, and that and that's something that I, I feel like you can talk about too, because Chris has talked about this. And Chris Perkins, I'm not saying that like I know him, I don't know you. I'd love <laughs> to know you, Chris. Um <laughs> is that this game is sandboxy. It mm-hmm. is uh, because of how Curse of Strahd did, they looked back at what they had here and made it more of a sandbox. Yeah, you mentioned that, about how it kind of influenced this book, which, I mean, to be honest, a great choice. Well, it, and, <laughs> and also, like, having recently finished that, well, recently, God, that was last year, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, semi-recently finishing Curse of Strahd, like, looking through this book, I can see that. Like, there are a lot of things in here that I'm like, oh, okay, that's similarly set up. And I, I love that because I love Curse of Strahd, how it's written. I will say because I'm also running Tube of Annihilation, um, the book is pretty much very nearly exactly set up like that. Because mm-hmm. um, it's like the first chunk of it is pretty much open world, alphabetical order of all the places possible that they can go to. Not even like all the places listed that they Mm -hmm. can go to. You can make up your own town or just your old hamlet and you can make up a blurb about it. But this has like even a sentence for every single place marked on the map. Like I was looking through that. It's at least a paragraph. For every single place marked on the map. Yeah. Yeah. And and then like later on, like Tomb, it just kind of of go like, all right, you're here now. Mm -hmm. You're going to go through here. Yeah. And what's cool is that for a lot of the areas too, it also has suggested encounters. Yeah. Not full on like dungeons, but like, hey, here's something that could happen while they're here. Oh yeah. Like there was some stuff where again, no spoilers, but like it's, I read a pair or like two paragraphs that I'm like, that could be its own adventure on DM's Guild. Exactly. Yeah. Like it, 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 it's vague, but it's enough structure to be like, I could do that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean... Considering it's all about the Savage Frontier, which if, for those that haven't read Storm King's Thunder, the Savage Frontier is essentially the northern chunk of the Sword Coast. Yeah, like a lot of it. From like Waterdeep up. It was Daggerford, which is a little bit south of Waterdeep, all the way up to Icewind Dale. Yeah, Daggerford all the way up to Ten Towns and beyond. Just a little bit. The Sea of Ice. (laughs) Um, But it's... It provides such a huge area that it really magnifies in, too, for certain areas. And what's cool is that if you don't really like this campaign idea of how it goes and plays with the giants and everything, it's still an even really good Sword Coast source book. Oh, yeah. Like, there, there's uh, the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, and I don't feel like that did anywhere near as good of a job as this did for, yeah. like... Because, like, that does good when it's getting down to the nitty-gritty of detail. Like, if I want to read about... Um, Waterdeep or Neverwinter. I'll go read that book. Pretty much if you're interested in the Lord's Alliance and the cities that it represents, read the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide. If you're interested in just the general north, Storm King's Thunder is a great like synopsis on every single town available. It's true. At least in the current canon, so to speak. Well, I, I think we should switch over to the spoiler part of this. Yeah, I'm ready. Um, so <laughs> if you don't want to hear spoilers, this is your chance to kick off and skip ahead um maybe i'll put a time code if i remember it <laughs> look into the details maybe i did that future trevor could have been cool uh but yeah so if you don't want spoilers leave now okay uh ali you've played way more of this than i have and i know you haven't finished it but i feel like you you've been you've had and read this book 
for over a year. Yeah. I feel like you're the most apt person I know <laughs> to review this. Yeah. So I'm going to let you talk about this for the most part, and I'm going to ask questions. Sounds good. I like that. Okay. So, I mean, full disclosure, before I really get into it, I just want to let it be known that I went into this campaign with my character starting at level 10. Um, like I mentioned before, my characters have been campaigning already. Like, they already helped save Neverwinter from the Nashers. They already did a lot of stuff. And so, at this point, they're pretty well established. Um, now, that being said, that doesn't mean this campaign wasn't difficult. And that wasn't even me adjusting things, too. Like, there were literally some parts of the book where my characters nearly died. And that was because I was reading directly from the book. <laughs> I wasn't adjusting anything. But, yeah, that's just full disclosure. I didn't start with level one or even three. I'm not even started with level one. <laughs> yeah. Um, this book is meant for levels one through ten. Uh, or eleven. The book even suggests at the end, like, if your characters aren't feeling confident, boost them up again. Um, basically, the entire book starts with the adventurers learning, oh, there's giants running amok. And then you are saving a town. Uh, you get to choose one of three. Um... I know Trevor is going to go for Bryn Shander, and I am. I went with Bryn Shander, but that's because I'm biased because <clears throat> I also play the Neverwinter video game. Uh, I would be lying it's... if I said that didn't have any influence on me as well. Yeah, and so I, re I really loved. That was probably, and this is going to sound bad. That was probably the biggest reason why I wanted to play Storm King's Thunder. <laughs> tabletop because of how much I enjoyed it in the MMO. <laughs> but, um, so they go through Bryn Chander, they save it, and when I was talking about how it's going to be difficult, this entire book is meant to make your players feel like they're too small for this task. It literally calls them puny. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, there's, there's a literal, like, three paragraphs describing how <coughs> this is not... This is meant to make it feel bigger than you can handle because that's the theme of the book is it's giant size problem. And for a little bit of spoiler here, uh, Bryn well, Shander gets ransacked by 20 full on giants. Um, they're attacking the whole town in literally surrounding it. And so your players have to figure out ways to uh, get out of that situation. And, and, well, I mean, like, even just on the surface, like, that is 20 CR 8 creatures yeah. that are swinging for tw uh, 25 damage a hit. Yeah. And like, that's a lot. They're technically supposed to be level 3 at this point, too. That's insane. So, like, with this book really almost oddly sets up the players to be approaching every encounter with a non-combat concept mm -hmm. um, because which, which is difficult for some dms and i'm i'm even gonna have that problem too where it's just like my players don't yeah. shy away from stuff they're like oh there's a big old monster <laughs> let's go up to it especially considering like usually if you go for non-combat that has the suggestion that the monsters are more than just i hit things right and mm -hmm. for some of the giants that's not really too much of an option because like for example the hill giants they're nowhere near intelligent enough to really be like let's have a parlay about this situation <laughs> um the only ones that would really be into that concept would be like cloud giants maybe fire giants i do like the cloud giants that i've read yeah, so far cloud giants are so cool 
Um, that's a friendly cloud giant. Yeah. It opens okay. up with that. It's okay. Can we, can, can we like? I know we're talking about the story. Can we talk real quick? Like some of the maps in this book are just not nice to the eyes. Specifically, yeah. this weird tower with a giant wizard hat on it. Yeah, it's it's really weird. It's um, so weird. Like it looks like it has like a Windows, like a Windows ninety eight wallpaper behind it. Yeah, that's a good transition into actual the maps themselves. Um, there are a few maps which are just really cool, but the downside is that literally every map, except for like maybe three, are oh each square in the map is ten or twenty feet. Yeah. And so if you're the type of group that really needs like to play it on a mat. Uh, you're going to have a little bit of a problem doing that, uh, at least to scale. Uh, the way I've ended up doing it a lot, because my group is one of those that has an issue doing it theater of the mind style. Um, I've had to just hold up a whiteboard, draw a really rough, terrible sketch of the map itself, and then just say, this is where you are, this is where the bad guys are, what do you want to do? Because, uh, I mean, the Frost Giant uh, Svardborg, uh, for example... It's literally a 500 by, like, 800 feet encounter if you Jesus. do it right. If you do it very much different, then it could be even bigger than that. It could be the entire scale of the dungeon, because the entire dungeon is basically outside. Look, look, looking at these, like, I, I haven't... I, I guess I didn't take close enough to notice them. There are there is uh, at least two artists in here for the maps. So yeah. one of them, I I know this dude. I can't remember his name right now, but he did the maps for um, Rise of Tima. Oh okay. Um, I I bought some of the maps for that game off of his website. Oh yeah yeah. Yeah. Uh, you you can go on there and give him like two bucks for a map and get the high definition file yeah. of it. But maps are good, but they have the size of it. That's gonna be that's that's gonna be rough for people that do battle mats. Mm -hmm. Do you know I do theater of the mind nine times yeah. out of ten, so I don't think I'm gonna have that big of a problem. Especially since you are playing with like an online group. That is true. Um, it's gonna be a little more difficult to portray anything other than theater of the mind. Yeah. So like a, something I would suggest is just literally read through just the map itself to see the scale of it. I'll I'll be honest, quick uh, DM dirty secret. Sometimes if uh, I have a cooler situation in my head, I don't care what the map says. <laughs> oh yeah. No. Um let's see. So let's get into like the actual meat of this. There's Chapter there's literally three. two chunks that make up this entire book. There's chapter 3, which is like 70 odd pages, I feel. Uh, yeah, I will get you a, a page count here in a moment. And then there's chapters, uh, let's see, I think 6, 7, 8, and 9. I think 10, too. Um, but it is uh, 60 pages long. Yeah. It's quite a lot. It, it, it is <laughs> a beefy boy. <laughs> so, like, the first part is literally describing the Savage Frontier. I think it's even called the Savage this, Frontier. Chapter 3, the Savage Frontier, yeah. Um, it explains very much like Tomb of Annihilation in alphabetical order every single place you can go to that's a dot that's true i will map. say that th this has a lot less description than tomb annihilation in some regards because there's some places in in cholt where it's just like here's you know um this is a one sentence paragraph but then there's other ones where it's like here's two pages that's yeah. all about this one area you're not going to really find that in this one but it's there's so many more areas yeah there i mean it's you're pretty much on the Sword Coast, 
And your characters well, will be wanting to go anywhere they need to. I mean, the chapter opens up with a, with one of the best maps of Faerun I've ever freaking seen. Yeah. And, like, every point on it, everything that's got a name, you can find in this freaking book. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that the map is a is. DM map. Oh, there yeah. There are some places on there that you definitely don't really want your characters to know about. Um, also, the DM screen that Gale Force 9, I believe, did... Um, that comes with an even more like detailed and it even has like page numbers when it comes to different places oh, too. Really? Oh, man. Yeah. To so that, that DM screen is actually really helpful purely because it has the, the first, the middle two, uh, panels of that DM screen is the map mm-hmm. and it's super helpful. Like, um, because I'm starting, I'm starting this off in Neverwinter because mm-hmm. you know, that's where my group is. Yeah. And, but they're like. You even suggest because I I texted you and was like, hey, how do I start them off in uh, Neverwood? You literally took a picture of the book because there is a whole thing about water demons. Like, here's something that happens here. Mm-hmm. And reading that, I'm like, oh, I know exactly how this is gonna start. Oh yeah. And what's really cool is that as soon as your players get either bored of chapter three or they're just st- standing there going, what do we do next? Um, because that can and probably mm-hmm. will happen because. That's one thing about this book is that in this first chunk of the book, there's really no big goal system set up. It's just the giants are running amok. Do your best. This is it is definitely the more if the, if it was if it was a game focused on combat, this would be the grindy part. Yeah. This would be you're fresh out of Midgar in Final Fantasy VII, yeah. and you need to grind until you can get to the next area. Um. The nice thing about it is that as soon as you start feeling that. You can throw in this really cool character, Harshnag, who is a friggin' frost giant, and he's friendly, and he has really cool stats, and the, he's got a white dragon skull for a helmet. This picture right here with the there, there's a picture in this book which is great podcasting, uh, but it's got the <laughs> it's got a small party around a campfire, and then Harshnag like leaning up, like sitting at the mouth of the cave that they're in, and it's one of my favorite pictures in this entire book. It's just so serene, but so weird. I love it. Exactly. And Harshnag is great because he's literally the plot device to get the plot started. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it doesn't really start. Exactly. It doesn't really start until Harshnag comes into play. Um, So that kind of gives you a lot of freedom. Damn, I need a Kesha song in my head. (laughs) I need to stop. (laughs) (laughs) It gives you a lot of freedom to be able to do whatever you like at whatever pace you like. And then you can just have Harshnag come in whenever you feel like it. Mm -hmm. Um, Or, I mean, another option, you can have Harshnag join them on their adventures. I mean, the book even says, like, Harshnag's been enjoying beating his brethren down for the likes of it. But he wants to be more goal-oriented now. Like, like, if you listeners have listened to Dungeon Driver, you know my my group basically plays this game like Pokemon and (laughs) adopts every... I'll have, like, one of these days I'm going to post a list of everyone they adopted. Yeah. They literally adopted three children <laughs> off the street. They're like, these are our kids now. I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> Sorry, continue. Um, but that's chapter three. It's really good as a resource. It's really good as far as letting it be sandboxy and letting your players do what they want to do. Like Something that I did very, very at the beginning is give my player characters a map. Mm-hmm. which had all the areas on there. So they could be like, oh, we should go here. Or, yeah. oh, we should go here. Um, I even gave them plot hooks, too. Because when you save Bryn Shander or Tribor or the third place that I forgot. Golden Field? Golden Fields, That yeah. sounds right. Um, there are NPCs that, if they live, um, they give you 
quests to mm-hmm. go on, and that brings you literally to the different places that you could go to. Um, somewhere I definitely recommend going is somewhere connected to a uh, teleportation network. Mm. Whether that be... Fast travel. Exactly, fast travel. Um, the book brings it up. It's right next to where Harshnag is introduced. It's essentially... Oh, I've seen, I've seen that picture. The Harpers have this secret teleportation network, which I think is do. the coolest thing ever. Of course ever. they fucking do. And thankfully, and there it is, yeah. Yeah. With like the... It's got like six towns, and if you can get them to be accepted into the secret oh, teleportation network, it is. Um, the Harpers can be a huge help when it gets to literally traversing like this 600 mile birth of a place. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll get into it after your review, but yeah, I, I've already decided I'm X-naying that. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, I, I kind of cheated. I gave my players an automatic uh, teleportation robe that yeah. brings them back to Neverwinter, which coincidentally has the Harper teleportation network. But I feel like that one's still fair because it's only teleporting them back to one place. Yeah. And, like, you've put rules into effect for, like, how that works. And I, I think that... I don't even think that's cheating. I think that's yeah. a cool plot device. Well, I mean, I was, like, more cheating around the concept of traveling for gods know how many Well, <laughs> like, here's here's the thing for me. Like, adventuring is a lot about tra- traveling stuff, but most of the time, the actual traveling is boring as goddamn hell. It is. I mean, like, it wasn't until literally four sessions ago where my, ca- where my players had to camp. <laughs> and we've been playing this for a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was funny. They, they started camping. They're like, why are we? Uh. <laughs> they were just so like disgruntled about actually camping. Sounds like me in real life. Um, so you said that the, the big sections are like four uh, pa- chapters three and then six and seven. Uh, so- there's four chapters afterwards. Essentially, yeah. after you find Harshnag, he takes you to the Eye of the Allfather, which... Pretty much says, oh, um, there's this, uh, there's these old barbarian tribes. They've taken what was rightfully giants, and, and so go retrieve these artifacts, and then come back, and then I'll point you at the way of the giants. Personally, I skipped that. Instead of having it open, there's literally the Great Worm Tribe, which is on the same mountain, mm-hmm. and she said, go there. Um, and they did. It literally took half a session. They came back, and she's like, cool, you're worthy. And she pointed them, said, where do you want to go to next? And yeah. you choose a type of, of giant. Um, any of them except the storm ones. Yeah. And the second half of the book is describing each of the dungeons, including the storm du- giant dungeon, um, that they could go to. Uh, I, so real quick, I will say I'm looking at the map of the Eye of the Allfather, and this looks so Baldur's Gatey that like I might just run it as is because mm-hmm. that looks super That's, like it looks yeah. old and cool. I kind of love it, but I can understand what you're talking about. Where it's like, yeah, just just do that. There's actually my favorite puzzle in the Eye of the Allfather. Mm. Um, pretty much, it really if if they don't think about it, it it. All it takes is Harshnag just coming up to the door and being like, hey, I'm here. And then it solves the puzzle. But until then, there's very much a trial and error puzzle situation going on. Getting into that doorway. Okay. And it's pretty fun. And if they try to... They have to go into here to find the different pieces of the puzzle. And this pursuit is like a trap. This is a Remoraz. CR 11 creature, by the way. For what's supposed to be a level 5-ish characters. I mean, if there's only one... I, I, I threw a crack in at those children yeah. at 
the bookstore the other day. Yeah. They, they lived. Only one of them got eaten. But he, he, he's fine. Like, at that point, one of my characters, he was level 10, and he got eaten by a Remoraz. <laughs> he almost died. He was literally second death save before Harshnag oh. gutted the Remoraz. Because, fun fact, you can play Harshnag. <laughs> I did buy a mini for that, even though it's an online game. But mm-hmm. I did buy that. Um, so... Without obviously going into detail of every single one of these, because there's a lot. Like yeah. you, this is another reason why this is a dense book. Yes. Because there's a dungeon for every type of giant, and each of those are really big. I mean, both in scale and in how long they are. And and I know that your players found. Um, I mean, just Iron Slag itself is 500 feet tall, Jesus. and there's like 13 different levels to it, and it's. And and I know that your players found ways around uh, getting uh, getting through all these. So, tell, tell me, what would you say is your favorite one? Um, as far as what my players did and how they handled it, my favorite one was probably Svardborg, which is the Frost Giant one. Um, so, early on in the game, you're supposed to find a conch, which automatically the teleports you. The conch of teleportation. To... <laughs> what a name. Yeah, it teleports you to the Storm King, the, the essentially the Storm King's uh, area, and uh, they stole that conch specifically from Storvald, who's the Frost Giant leader, mm-hmm. and this rightly pissed them off, and so they went into that dungeon understanding and knowing this is a very paranoid and pissed off Frost Giant that they're about to go after. This is also a Frost Giant which has like twenty other Frost Giants to back them up, and. Svardborg was probably my favorite simply because there's not just giants there. There's also two white dragons. That's sick. Oh, yeah, I've read about them. That's sick. And uh, it's a little bit of a puzzle to figure out how to get them on your side, but it's very possible or it's not possible at all. And you can heck it up and all of a sudden you're fighting not just frost giants and this uh, Jarl of frost giants, but you're also fighting two dragons. And not to mention, if you break one of the eggs, they have a good chance of hatching and all of a sudden dragon wormlings are coming at you too. I can't need to stop saying sick. It's not. It's not 1998. Um, Spoiler. That's how one of my characters actually died. Oh, I love it. Which one? Who, who, who was it? It tried to wrestle a white dragon. Oh, oh, I know who that is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, so I, I'm I'm getting the idea of like how these are going. Like I, I did find I found the stone giant map, which is literally a whole page, and the squares are ten feet. Yeah. Each. That's massive. Yeah. Um. And would, would what would you say would be like the not the worst, but the lower end of of the, the dungeons. Or would you say there even was one? Um, no, I can... Probably the Cloud Giant. Really? That's yeah. disappointing. I mean, because the way that they set it up, uh, Countess and Suri, she's probably the, quote, craziest, quote, of the giant lords trying to take over. Um, she really... The entire castle, which is Linnor Mall, it's a floating cloud giant castle. It's pretty mm-hmm. cool. Uh, however, there's like a lot of stuff in there which gets really iffy when playing with player characters that you're probably going to end up trying to remake the whole dungeon yourself. Do you mean like creatures that are in it? There are two. Her She has kids. Mm-hmm. And the book even suggests using the kids as like blackmail to get her to Jesus. not kill you. Because, again, it suggests it really influences the characters to not go into combat. Mm-hmm. Um, also in Lenormal is, like, the strongest magical items, too. So 
if you don't go through all of Lunar Mall, if you don't clear out some rooms, you could very easily miss those. Miss yeah. a lot of big stuff. Okay. Um, that, that's just funny to hear because that was one that I'm like, oh, it's giant castle in the sky. I've done that before. The only, <laughs> the coolest part about Lunar Mall for me was that my players literally snuck through the entire dungeon, didn't fight a single giant until Countess Sensuri. But they had also been scrying on her. They used dreams on her, so she was exhausted for one level. They had to save their dragon friend who was captured and is currently being tortured. And it's like, the story-wise, it was really cool. Mm-hmm. Like, that was my favorite story dungeon. But the dungeon layout itself, not mm-hmm. great. Okay. Not good. Um. Well, so you're up to the end of this. Yes. Um, how are you feeling about the, the end? I'm feeling good. I I mean, like, if any of you are listening, I know you can do it. I said that before, that you can do this, but all of them feel apprehensive about going up against an ancient blue dragon. Spoiler, that's the real bad guy of this whole mess. Mm-hmm. Which I think is probably my favorite thing about this, yeah. is that it is a giant story that is also a dragon story, because, like, even in that chapter three, there's so many ancient, awesome, cool dragons in there. Yeah, and the reason, pretty much the whole reason why it's a dragon behind it is because of greed. Mm-hmm. The pure reason why she wants all this to happen is so that way the storm giants can go into disarray. They're all busy fighting each other so she can steal a chair. Oh yeah, the, the, the worm skull The worm throne. skull throne. Um, it's this really crazy powerful artifact. <laughs> I love that you can float around in it like your yeah. Professor Xavier shooting lightning. Exactly, that is literally what it is. And, <laughs> and pretty much... Uh, the queen of the storm giants gave it to the king as a gift for mm-hmm. his birthday, and then she was murdered, thanks to the dragon, murdered. who was like, I'm influencing your daughters to set a plot up against you, and it worked. And Imrith, who's the name of the ancient blue dragon, she was super cunning about this entire thing. She laid it out step by step and had it all perfectly under plan. Until Princess Sarissa had doubts. Mm-hmm. Sarissa is the Storm King's daughter. Um, she's also the youngest of three daughters. So, but she was named next in line, mm-hmm. which upset the two older daughters. I, I used that w- when I was reading all that. Like the big thing is the ordning is broken, and like yeah. all of this stuff, this political intrigue among the giants. I love it. It's so yeah. cool. That's the other thing. It's not just a hack and slash book. It's also political intrigue because it mentioned forging alliances. It didn't mention that you're forging alliances with giants. Mm-hmm. Um, Princess Sarissa knows the ordning broke. In fact, every giant knows the ordning broke. The reason why is because the giants didn't step in during Tiamat. Mm -hmm. They didn't come in and took down their literal greatest foe ever, period. And the gods were like, "Mm, not cool, guys. And so they shattered the one thing that kept them going. Mm -hmm. Now, do you think... Now, not everyone has played Rise of Tiamat, which I think is fine. Um, Do you think that this campaign is still fine to run if... You have no interest in connecting it to Rise of Tiamat? Oh, no, totally. Yeah? Um, I mean, my connection to it was a literal, like, eh, throwaway hand wave. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, because your group didn't actually play it. But didn't, didn't you have it, it that it took place? It took place about a year and a half before this. Okay. Um, and sometimes that number changes because I forget. <laughs> um, but the players would be like, oh, why is this happening? And they would look into it and there'd be some lore checks and eventually they'd figure out, oh, it's the lines, the ordning shattered 
kind of lined up with when Tiamat tried to raise mm-hmm. up. It's well known that that happened. In the Sword Coast, the Lord's Alliance kind of made a big huff saying, we saved the world. No. And Not mine. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so it's like, whoever did save it, mm-hmm. technically, it doesn't even have to be a certain group. Just the fact that they did, because that's actually a, kind of a key part because the Lord's Alliance is currently being blamed for mm-hmm. Hecaton going missing. Um, because they're like, that's a whole different thing, though. But <laughs> but but how how would you say you feel about how it wraps up? Um, I feel like it wraps up pretty well. Because uh, I, gives... I know there's different ways it can. Like you can have it where it's yeah. like the ordning's back, the ordning isn't back, the ordning's back, but it's different. Yeah. Um, I feel like your players could straight up alliance with a completely. They could go against the storm giants. You, there's a reason why the Storm Giant, uh, the Maelstrom, is mm-hmm. in there, the dungeon for the Storm Giants. It's because they could be an enemy of them. They could straight up try to go in and murder a hobo at the place. Because um, it's very easy. If you miss, like, three steps, yeah, you could easily heck that up and mm-hmm. be against them. But you could also align yourself with a different giant society. That's crazy. If you align yourself with Starvald, who's the Frost Giant... That might be kind of weird because he's trying to find the Ring of Winter and freeze all of, well, Faerun and everywhere, ever, for, mm-hmm. for a long time. But you could. You could align yourself with a different group. Um, you could even influence other lords to be different, too. Um, but I feel like it does wrap up pretty well. Um, there's The book gives you an option to just go after. Like, once you finish, you, you only really need... To take down one giant lord, and that's all you need. Um, I gave the option to my players because the book even offered it. For every two giant lords you take down, they go up a level. Mm -hmm. Which, I said earlier, my characters are level 10 when they started. So by the time that they were taking down giant lords, they were level like 11. And they just took down their fourth once. They're level 14 now. Ha ha! (laughs) Figured it out. Um... So it can easily wrap up where they take down one, they go save Hecaton, and then they find out where Imrith is, and they go after her, and they take her down with the helps of their new alliance with the Storm Giants, because that's one cool thing about the final battle, is that there's like five Storm Giants that go with them to take, oh, down, this gi- take down this dragon. That's sick. God damn it, I'm still saying it. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, it's not a hopeless feeling of, well, they're only level 11 or even level 10 going after this ancient blue dragon, they're also going to have five NPCs yeah. that are immune to lightning damage. Yeah. So I feel like the ending of the book, I haven't done it yet, but I feel like it's done very well. Okay. Um, it's the biggest encounter. I mean, there's there's a monster in Monster Hunter uh, that goes in the sands. Oh, the Diablos. Yeah, that is pretty much literally Imrith. If that monster oh, can I shoot lightning... Wait. That's Imrith. Oh, I can't wait. That sounds awesome. Yeah. I love that fight. And that's that's entirely what that fight is. <laughs> that sounds awesome. All right. Well, let, let's let's do our final thoughts. Yes. Which I uh, came up with while we were talking because I realized I didn't do that beforehand. So let, let's let's do it into two parts. Okay. We're going to rank it, and then we're going to uh, say uh, what level, uh, what what experience level we feel was good as a DM to run this. So because. I've only ever uh, reviewed Tomb of Annihilation. <laughs> we only have that to rank it against. <laughs> and you've you've read it. Would you say that this is uh, better than Tomb of Annihilation? Or would you put it under Tomb of Annihilation? Um, Personally, I would put it better. I feel that way too. 
um, simply because there isn't this huge drastic change in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my one gripe with Tomb, yeah. essentially. Well, that, that's the gripe that I put on it, where I, I didn't even run the Tomb. <laughs> is that it makes this sudden shift in everything goes from traveling RPG to meat grinder. Yeah. Whereas Storm King's Thunder has the same theme constantly throughout, where mm-hmm. you are small, try and get out of this one. Yeah, and, and like, the, the, the difference is... The, or, no, sorry. Let me start over that thought. They both have a similar thing going for them where they are a great travel log and they're great for exploring and everything. Yeah. But this one, I feel like, funnels that exploring into an actual thing that makes sense with it whereas tomb is just like you've done all this exploring and all this adventuring try not to die at every corner yeah i mean like that's the cool thing not every encounter in there is a deadly one or even a dangerous one there are some encounters in there which are like there are cloud giants that are friendly yeah like i've said before i'll say it again not every encounter has to be deadly yeah it just doesn't have to and this book encourages that because you're not supposed to fight the giants really on this one you're not supposed to pick up fights um, because of the supposed levels the characters are supposed to be at. Mm-hmm. It is set up for a normal 1 through 10 like adventure, and I think it plays out really well. And honestly, with how I played it, it plays out really well above that too. Because then the players can kind of feel like, no, we could take them on, and then they realize, no, we still can't. <laughs> and so it still, it still had that feeling of you're not big enough for this. Mm-hmm. And which I think is the coolest thing, because even though it just goes to show... In 5th edition especially, it doesn't matter really how much of a level you are, especially if you have the dungeon set up right and the enemies set up right too. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you could be level like 15, but if you have 20 goblins coming at you... That's what I love about 5th edition. You're going to be taken down. <laughs> so what would you say would be a good... Uh, what would you say would be the lowest expertise you would need as a GM? So I'd say what we could do this is like beginner, mediary, and then... Um, I don't know what the veteran uh, veteran yeah sure so what which one would you say is the the lowest form of knowledge you need to know mediary i would not suggest this one for a beginner dm mm-hmm. mostly because of the concept of non-combat encounters mm-hmm. you have to encourage your players not to fi- pick a fight with three fire giants in a room that causes 3d6 damage every turn so in order to really kind of encourage your players to do that, you kind of have to have the wherewithal and the expertise and just knowing your players in order to nudge them the right way. And being a new DM, uh, you're going to be busy trying to make sure you're running the, the story right. And so having those little nuances is a little more tricky if you're new at it. I could definitely see uh, someone opening up this book at a game store and instantly feeling overwhelmed. Yeah. Because it... It may be laid out in chapters, and we didn't really get into the comparisons of Rise of Tiamat, but that was kind of where I was going with where Rise of Tiamat is, you know, chapter to chapter to chapter to chapter, which this one is, but what happens in them is so much deeper than what happens in Rise of Tiamat. I yeah. still feel like Horde of the Dragon King and Rise of Tiamat, Horde of the Dragon Queen and Rise <laughs> of Tiamat are probably the best places for players, for new GMs to go to. It's not... I, I'm not going to tell them to take, like, you know, everything there to heart. But, you know, take stuff with grain of salt. Learn how it's yeah. progressing. But this one, yeah, definitely good for a, a mediary DM. And I think I'm saying that right now. No. Yeah, I think so, too. And, I mean, like, I would probably say I haven't ran it, but I've only seen about you talking about it. But it's probably easier than Curse of Strahd. 
Mm. Simply because Curse of Strahd has that huge mega dungeon being the castle. I think we can get into that one when we do Curse of Strahd. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have thoughts on that one. All right. <laughs> um, but I think that's good for our tomb. Or not tomb. Storm King's Giant. Storm King's Thunder. I can't speak anymore. <laughs> there you go. Storm King's Thunder review. Uh, hopefully this, you know, if you're cool with spoilers and we're thinking about running this, this has put you over the edge and you're going to pick this up. Oh, yeah. Or this, you know, turned you off completely in which you didn't spend money on something you didn't want. Well, I say go get it, because it's a fun book. Yeah, it is. (laughs) I'm so much so that I went and got it again. Um, Okay, so, uh, last thing we're going to do here is listener questions. Uh, This is where you can write in to uh, difficultyclass at gmail.com and send us some of your D&D-related questions, or, hell, screw it, other RPG questions. We've run other RPGs. Let's freaking do it. But this is me on D&D. Today's question comes from uh, Ryan Fitzgerald, uh, who you may hear from more of, uh, you know, in the future. Who knows? Um, uh, He writes, "Uh, First time DM, and I have a hard time uh, of balancing the difficulty of combat and deciding who to attack and what uh, actions to take so I don't overpower the players. Any advice on uh, how to keep combat challenging but still passable? He's got a second question here, too, but if we have time, we'll get to that one. Yeah. So... He, he is fresh to this. I, I Luckily, I have talked to him, so I know what's going on here. He just got the starter kit, and he ran a game for his friends. And so what he's saying here is that he's having trouble deciding how to actually do combat. And I, I did an old Dungeon Driver episode of this, but it wasn't the best. It was 6 in the morning. <laughs> um, so what, what, what would you say is a good tip for him on this? Um... Being able to, I mean, straight up fudge numbers is the easiest way to keep <coughs> combat challenging but still passable. Once again, fudging is not cheating. Exactly. Um, if you find your players are having too easy of a time and like as if they're almost bored with the fight, you could easily just bump up the enemy's health to non-existent until you figure out this is a good time for them to die. Um, <laughs> you could even just introduce, ooh, backup has arrived. And all Mm -hmm. of a sudden it makes an easy counter difficult because, face it, in 5th edition, the more attacks the enemy has, the more deadly the encounter is. Yeah, that's why like boss monsters have their legendary actions where they get to do something on someone's turn. They get to do something extra during the initiative. Yeah, I mean, like, and that's something too. You can make an average fight very interesting if you give legendary actions to, like, a hobgoblin. Um, You just plop him in there and be like yeah no he can attack after every turn and yeah. all of a sudden the players are like whoa who is this guy yeah <laughs> i want his magic weapon um but that's a good way to keep it challenging but still passable is very much fudge the numbers if you feel like they're having a real hard time lower that health mm-hmm. that's all it takes and so you could the next hit describe him as that one really winded him and you could see him breathing heavily as blood starts dripping out from under the armor and it's like you can describe it to where you're making a difference yeah but he's still going strong i i i will say that i feel like describing the combat makes the combat more intense like i, yeah. I there's been multiple times now where i've had a boss fight and everyone's like oh man that was so intense and in my head i'm going it was three rounds. It was three rounds, you yeah. You fucking murderfied that thing, but I made it scary to you. <laughs> I mean, like, that's a brilliant point, is that if the more you make it feel like a movie, like yeah. a cutscene in a video game, where uh, or the Telltale games, yeah. where, uh, sure, you're not doing much, you're just pressing a button as fast as you can uh, without hitting the wrong one, oh, yeah, but the wrong one. those, like, 
quote cut scene like fights are the coolest things because it makes you feel like oh that was just barely in the nick of time describing simple actions like oh you go up and it's like okay i'm gonna attack him and you roll a d20 and it's like oh you hit and you deal this much damage describing that is so much cooler than just saying mm-hmm. what'd you get 13 all right 13 damage yeah the, and, and Ryan, we're not saying that you have to instantly know how to do this. This is something that has taken us years oh, yeah. and years to do. I'm still working on it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what I will say about you, you, you have here, uh, how do I decide who to attack and what actions to take? So for the first one, you can literally just go with an aggro idea in your head, like old World of Warcraft. Who hit me last for the hardest? Yeah. Um, Whoever hit last for the most amount of damage is the one that gets hit. Yeah. Or if a player just, you know, jokingly in, in roleplay, like, says something insulting to a goblin, they have that goblin go attack him. Mm-hmm. Because, like, the, the, the neat thing is about that, like, even if it's a bad decision for the goblin, and again, I will reiterate... Bad guys don't always make good decisions. No. That's no. why they're bad guys. Um, they, But, like, let's say that he's in combat with two other people. One dude over on the other side says something about that goblin's mom, and he gets pissed and runs at him. He takes two attack of opportunities. It may kill him, it may not, but, like, that moment where that goblin got so mad and ran at that other dude, they're going to remember that. Oh, yeah. And what actions to take, too? Um, unless a creature has like something other than try to keep in mind the other actions in general that you can take other than attack action oh yeah like, sometimes I suck at that um dashing is always a go-to fun one uh, mm. players don't expect that like uh, sure that eats up the entire monster's turn is to use the dash action but it immediately puts them up with the wizard yeah um and or, like, especially if the wizard busts out, like, a huge damage-dealing spell, but they're on the complete other side of the field. If a smart monster is going to be like, that's the damage dealer, they're going to try to go for him. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, that's what you do as a player. Yeah, the, the the thing that I've always had in my head when coming to, like, monster stuff is that I think of it as, like, video game AI. Yeah. Like, I've, I've beat up goblins in video games before. Yeah. I've fought all these things in video games so i just kind of put it in i kind of get in the headspace of like okay where are they going to go who are they going to attack like in my head goblins always go for the person that's most heavily armored because they think that it's you know if they take that guy down it'll be a cakewalk mm-hmm. so that's how i always play in my head they always go towards yeah. the biggest armored dude and i shouldn't say that to players who might be listening to this <laughs> um i mean like a real easy way to figure out what specific monsters will do what Read the little blurb the Monster Manual has about them. Mm-hmm. Um, it will explain how goblins like to... What their society is like. Well, to, like... Be, to be fair, uh, he only got the starter kit, and I don't know if it has that. Oh, okay. Um, but, the yeah, you, well, I think you can even look those up online. But, yeah, yeah there, there's, there's places that you can look up monster tactics. And just you can just keep them in mind, or don't worry about it. Because the other thing is, is that if your players are having fun, it doesn't matter who yeah. you attacked. Yeah, I mean, like, a great rule of thumb is is that if their intelligence is a plus modifier, have them look for the biggest damage dealers. If their intelligence is zero or negative, have them go for either the closest or the biggest dude. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of my go-to when I don't really prep at all for a game. I kind of just look at the base stats of the creatures, and I'm like, oh, okay, that's what they do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would say, you know, think about, like, a video game AI. Think about actions that aren't on the sheet because they can use all the player actions and you know use their stats to make decisions you can also as a last quick one you can make a roll 
Oh, yeah. I, I've done that so many times. I'm like, who are they going to attack? And I just count off one, two, three, roll D6, divide by two, which is a D3. But, I, you know. I do that constantly yeah. because I have a lot of martial players where they just go up and hit things. Yeah. And so if a single big guy is surrounded by four other big guys, then it's not going to be an easy 50-50 thing. Mm-hmm. You could easily go by numbers and see who did the biggest damage last hit, but... Also, if someone's like role playing, saying, "Oh, I jumped like underneath him, and then it's like I did a slide and I sliced his ankle," it's like, "Oh, then he's being a threat. You could go after him." Yeah. But rolling the dice is always a great answer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it is a dice rolling game. <laughs> <laughs> you you do that old uh, that the uh, Futurama joke when Gary Guy is like, "Hello, it's a uh, rolls dice. Pleasure to meet you." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> God, I love that one. All right, well, Ryan, hopefully that. Uh, helps you out. We're going to hold on to your other question for another time because it is about puzzles and my God, that could be a whole episode. Oh, that's, a, that's yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's going to be our show for this week. Uh, if you enjoyed it, please consider leaving a review on whatever podcast service you might be listening to us on and tell your friends about the show. Uh, if you'd like to have your question read on the show, just like Ryan did, uh, you can send that question into difficultyclass at gmail.com. Uh, you can also uh, follow us uh, on Difficulty Class on Twitter and Difficulty Podcast on Instagram. Uh, Allie, do you, do you want to plug your Twitter? Uh, yeah, my Twitter's Alibug321. I mean, it's, it's a pretty good one. I pretty much retweet <laughs> all D&D stuff ever, so, mm-hmm. and then a little memes every now and then. Yeah. Uh, you can follow me at the Trevor, uh, which is T-R-E-A-V-O-R, because I'm fancy. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, uh, until next time. Don't get killed by a storm giant. Oh, my God.